we're carrying on in this um, Unsung Heroes series. And this morning, it's the story of the Shunamite, Shunamite, I have to really concentrate to say that, Shunamite woman. Yeah. Do you want to practice that with me? Shunamite. Shunamite. You've got it, right? If I do it again with lots of people, then maybe it'll, it'll sink in. So this is a story in 2 Kings 4 and chapter 4 and chapter 8. Um, so she's the fourth in the series of Unsung Heroes. And I think it's a story that teaches us um, about what Jesus meant when he said that we should love one another. It's not the only story that teaches us about that, but it's one of those stories. It's the story of an ordinary lady who used what she had. She lived bravely and she loved well. And we're going to have, find out what we can learn about loving one another from this story. So it's quite a long reading. Um, you'll find it in 2 Kings, first of all, beginning in chapter 4, beginning at verse 8. Um, and then we'll move into chapter 8. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he passed by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you've gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my people, my own people. What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant and the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today? He asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to her, run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. 
When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said. Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet, and if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got onto the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got onto the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. Wow, exactly. That's the first story. Now there's a second story. So a little bit later on in life, the boy's probably a little bit older. And this is the next part of the story from chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, I think. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son had, he had restored to life, Go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can, because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. The woman proceeded to do as the man of God said. She and her family went away and stayed in the land of the Philistines for seven years. At the end of the seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines and went to appeal to the king for her house and land. The king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, and had said, tell me all about the great things Elisha has done. Just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, the woman whose son Elisha had brought back to life came to appeal to the king for her house and land. Gehazi said, this is the woman, my lord, the king, and this is the, her son whom Elisha restored to life. The king asked the woman about it, and she told him. Then he assigned an official to her case and said to him, give back everything that belonged to her, including all the income from her land from the day she left the country until now. Okay, amazing stories. So let's unpack those a little bit and see what we can learn. So I think the first thing that we can learn about loving one another from the Shunammite woman is that our love needs to be courageous and generous. 
If you have a look at verse 8 and verse 10 in that first bit that we read from chapter 4, it says that she urged him to stay for a meal. If you urge someone, that means it takes a bit of persuasion, doesn't it? Have you ever been in that situation where you want to bless somebody, you want to give them something, you want to do something for them, but it takes a bit of persuasion? Someone might say to you, oh no, don't bother, I'm all right. She urged him to stay, she persisted. But she didn't just step over that chicken line of offering somebody something and be courageous. She was also generous in the way that she loved him. Verse 10 tells us, let's make a small room. So she built an extension, basically, for the guy. That's what she did. She looked at her house and she said, where have I got space where I can put this man who's doing important work for God?" So she built an extension. She spoke to her husband about it first, which was probably very wise, wasn't it? But she didn't just build the room. She actually put a bed in that room as well. She didn't tell Elisha, here's a room, and then when you come and stay, you need to bring your roll mat and your sleeping bag. She made a room with a bed. But she didn't just put a bed in there. She also put a table and a chair so that he could sit down and, I don't know, look at himself in the mirror or do some writing or read the scriptures or something. But she didn't just put a table, a bed and a chair. She also put a lamp so that maybe when it was dark and he wanted to do something that he needed light for, he could light the lamp and be in that room, not just to sleep, not just a place to lay his head, but a place where he would feel welcome. She was generous with her love. She was courageous because she saw that Elijah, Elisha sorry, had an important job to do for God. And she wasn't too frightened to ask him if she could help him. She was generous and she encouraged her husband to be generous as well by speaking to him about the extension that was required to be built. She was generous because she didn't just provide a room or a meal, but she also provided a bed and a desk and a chair and a lamp. She said, I know that this man is a holy, who often comes our way is a holy man of God. She recognized that God was at work through Elisha. Um, and she made sure that she showed God's love to him. And then the next way that I think the, um, that the Shunammite woman loved Elisha was that she was honest. In verse 13, Elisha asked her, what can be done for you? I don't think he wanted to repay her, but I think he wanted to bless her in the way that she'd blessed him. And did you notice she replied, I have a home among my own people. What she was saying there really was, I can't think of anything. I haven't got a clue. Have you ever been in that position where someone's offered you something, offered to do something, offered to help you with something, said, is there anything you need? And you say, oh, no, not really. I'm all right. That's what the Shunammite woman was doing. But then when he finally realized what it was that she needed with the help of his servant Gehazi, proves that we need those people that come alongside us, when finally Elisha worked it out that what she really needed and wanted was a son, she then had to be honest and say that she wasn't really sure whether God was capable of it. If you have a look in verse 13, she says, No, my lord, She objected, please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. 
What she was saying there really was, I'm not sure if I can believe this. I don't know if this is real. I don't know that God is capable of this. So with the love that she shared with Elisha and the love that he shared with her, there was honesty. When it came to what God could do for her, she didn't know what to ask for. She was too scared to dream big. And she was honest about that. And then we come to the next part of the story. That part of the story where she's got her son. The miracle has happened. He goes out to the field and then he's struck down by whatever this terrible illness is that causes him to have pain in his head and he dies in his mother's arms. What an absolute tragedy. I want to just take us down a little path of retelling the story for a moment because I think her reaction in this moment is incredible. I don't know if you remember from where we read it just now, but she, she holds him in her arms and he dies in her arms. Imagine that. Imagine being a mum, holding your child in your arms and they die. Her reaction isn't to weep and wail. Her reaction isn't to call for someone else. Her reaction is to go, it says in verse 21, and lay him on the bed of the man of God. What she's doing there is she's exercising faith. She's showing that she knows that Elisha can be used by God to do something about this terrible, tragic situation that's overtaken her life. She puts him on his bed. She knew that she was right up against it in this moment. She knew that there was nothing that she could do, but she could trust God and she knew who to go to for help. She knew that Elisha, whom she had loved and had loved her back, was the one that was going to help. Another little bit of evidence of her faith was that um, in verse 26, um, she has this exchange with her husband. She says, I'm going to go and see the man of God. And at this point, I don't think he knows that, that the boy is dead. Judging by his reaction, the way that he speaks to her, it doesn't seem like he knows. And so he says, what are you going there for? It's not a new moon or a Sabbath. In other words, why are you going to go and pray now, you silly woman? It's not the right time to go and pray. What are you doing? And she doesn't say, I'm going because our son is dead. She says, that's all right. That's all right. That's not what you say when your son is dead, is it? That's not what you say. In some translations, it says, everything will be all right. So again, she's exercising faith. She knows the love that she's experienced of God from Elisha, via Elisha. And she knows who she can trust. And so she says in faith, everything will be all right. And actually, she says it again later on when she goes and talks to Elisha with Gehazi. Gehazi says to her, are you all right? Is everything all right with your husband? Is everything all right with your son? At that point, she doesn't say, no, it's all terrible. My son is dead and my husband hasn't got a clue. She just says, everything is all right. Because she knows that the God who loves her and Elisha who showed her that love and whom she was able to show love to is the one who can fix this. She's speaking in faith. Everything is all right. She has faith that God will make everything right. She doesn't panic. She just simply speaks out in faith what she expects will be. And then we see Elisha's reaction. He goes in to the room and he shuts the door on the two of them, it says, and he prays to the Lord. It's his opportunity to show love 
for the woman again, the Shunammite woman. She's shown love for him, and now it's his opportunity to show love for her. And he's going to go and do the one thing that he knows how to do really well. He's going to go and pray and raise the dead. But in verse 28, she's honest. I'm jumping back a little bit just to to remind us. In verse 28, she's honest. She says, didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? She's honest about where she comes from. She's honest about the fact that she didn't have faith for this child in the first place, but now she's coming back to God. She's not attempting to hide how she feels about this situation. She's not pretending that everything's okay. She's speaking in faith that everything's okay. And so she allows Elisha to go in and shut the door, and he performs that miracle in God's power of raising the boy from the dead. So her, her love is courageous it's generous in the way that she deals with Elisha and looks after him, but also it's honest in that she allows him to come back and help her when she needs it. And then finally, the second part of the story in um, chapter 8, she sent away with her family. Elisha says to her, go away with your family, there's going to be a famine. And she proceeded to do as the man of God said, it says, So because of that love that she'd given, because of the love that she'd experienced, I believe that she was teachable. She listened to Elisha. She listened to godly advice. And then she followed it. And she stuck to it, even though it meant losing so much. What really isn't clear in this story, although you might have been able to understand it from the words, is that by leaving the country, she lost all of her land. And she lost her house. And I think we can assume that her husband died because it talks about her getting the land back, not him getting the land back. So actually, by listening to Elisha and following that instruction, that wasn't an easy thing to do. That wasn't an easy bit of God's love that he was showing her or that she was receiving. By doing that, she risked losing everything. But then in verse 6, we hear that testimony that she goes to the king and that she tells him about everything that Elisha had done. She tells him about the way that he resurrected her son and her son is there as evidence that this has happened. And so the king says, give back everything that belonged to her, including all the income from her land from the day she left the country until now. And so because of her obedience, because of her receiving that tricky love that Elisha gave her in that instruction to go and to leave her country and to leave her land, God fully restored what was hers in giving her back the income from her land. And he gave her more besides. And then in verse 6, it also says that she told him, she gave testimony to the king um, about what Elisha and God had done. Jesus said to us in John 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus wants us to love one another. Just have a little look around at the people that are around you. Oh, it's cringy to do that, isn't it? Isn't that awkward? And now close your eyes for a moment and think about others 
that would normally be with us. And think about what it's like to love those people. Think about the people in your family. Those are the people that Jesus wants us to love. One another who are here, those who haven't made it this morning, people in our families, people who God puts across our paths every day. You can open your eyes again. And to do this well, we need to love one another like the Shunammite woman and Elisha loved one another. Sacrificially, like Jesus loved his first disciples and as he also loves us. You can read about Jesus' love and Jesus' compassion um, and the way that he expressed that in so many different stories in the New Testament, can't you, and in the Gospels. But I just wanted to highlight a few of them. I was thinking about Jairus' daughter. You've heard me speak probably fairly often about it. It's a story that's really important to me. In that story, Jesus raises a little girl from the dead. He has compassion on the dad who's lost his daughter, and he loves that girl by raising her from the dead. You think about Jesus and Lazarus. Jesus goes to Lazarus's tomb and he shouts, Lazarus, come out. He raises Lazarus from the dead. He has compassion on Mary and Martha in that moment. In the feeding of the 4,000 that we read about, the crowd had been there for three days without any food and it describes how Jesus had compassion on the crowd. He loved the crowd and he found a way to feed them. It also talks about um, other times. There are other moments where it talks about Jesus having compassion on the crowd. He talks about them as being like a sheep without a shepherd. And he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom to them. He healed the sick. He loved them. And that's how he calls us to love one another like the Shunammite woman loved Elisha. And so we love like the Shunammite woman. We love courageously. This is about being brave and stepping over the chicken line. What I mean by that is screwing up all that courage that we need at times, asking God to help us when we notice a way to love someone else and actually offering to do something. Jesus calls us to love like the Shunammite woman, to love generously, not just giving the bare minimum of what's needed, but actually going above and beyond to give to whoever it is that God puts across our path. It might not mean building an extension to your house, but you should probably talk to your spouse about that first if you're going to do that. But it might mean going an extra mile. It might mean making an extra cup of tea. It might mean knocking on your neighbor's door more often than you really feel like doing. But God's love is there to help us to do that. And then also... He calls us to love honestly. And this is particularly important as we love one another here as a fellowship together, as the body of Jesus in this place. Not trying to cover up where we are in our faith in Jesus, telling it like it is. Not to turn in on ourselves, not to dwell on the bad stuff and to be miserable and, you know, shout, woe is me every five minutes, but actually just to face up to the truth about what's tough in our circumstances and be honest about how we are with whatever is going on in our lives. So we love courageously, like the Shunammite woman. We love generously, and we love honestly. Loving one another could become overwhelming, couldn't it? When I asked you to close your eyes just now or look around at one another, you probably thought, oh, this is hard work. 
It's hard work to love other people. Well, that is true. If you try and do it in your own strength, if you try and do it with the tiny resources of love that you have as a human being, it is difficult. But we can recall a really important teaching that Jesus gave us about love in answer to the question about which is the most important commandment. Jesus said this, the most important one is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And so that just shows us our priorities in love. In enabling us to love one another, God said, Jesus says, love God first, love your neighbor second as you love yourself. How do we love one another as we love ourselves? Well, we need to ask for God's help to help us to see ourselves as he sees us, to allow our God's eye view to enable us to care for ourselves in the way that we would like to care for others, in the way that we would, they, we would like them to care for us. Jesus is the perfect example of that, isn't he? He made self-care a thing before it was a trendy 21st century TV thing to do, whatever it is, chilling out. He didn't just have compassion on the crowds, but he, and he didn't just give himself away sacrificially, but he spent time doing what he knew would be life-giving to himself. It says that the news spread about him all the more, so the crowds came to hear him and be healed of their illnesses, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We love ourselves by investing in our time and our relationship with God, and that enables us to love one another because we make that time to rest in God. We make that time to worship, to confess, to put our trust in him again. And in allowing him to transform our hearts in those moments, we are able to love generously, courageously, honestly, and we are able to tell others about the love that he has for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the story of the Shunammite woman. We thank you for this story that, although it's thousands of years old, that it can teach us about the love that you have for us, but also it teaches us how to love one another. And Lord, we know that we can't do that by ourselves. We know that we find it tricky as human beings to care for one another. We find it tricky to care for ourselves sometimes. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask that as we think about this story during the week, as we think about what it's taught us about loving courageously, generously, honestly, we ask that you will help us, that you will so fill us with your love that it will overflow to one another, that as it fills our hearts, that it will be what pours out of our, our lives our lives together as Barnwell Baptist Church, but also our lives within our families, in our neighbourhoods, in our workplaces, in our friendship groups, in our leisure places. <clears throat>